Good morning. We can continue our journey through some of the minor prophets. Uh, this morning we'll be looking at Amos. Uh, you'll find the minor prophets at the end of the Old Testament, so if you want to find the New Testament, flip back a little bit, you should find Amos. It's one of the larger uh, minor prophets. It comes in at nine chapters. While you're turning there, I want to remind you of an opportunity of forgiving in our church. I uh, told you last week that uh, for the first time in over a decade, we're going to uh, children's camp. So we're taking uh, several of our, many of our kids to, to children's camp this summer. And as you know, we have tons of kids, uh, lots of big families that many of them sending multiple kids. And so we are asking uh, for uh, some of you to step up and for, provide some scholarships for those uh, young people. Um, you'll find on the connection card, you'll actually find the children's camp scholarship commitment. Uh, you can, there's opportunity here uh, for half or a full or anything that you are willing to give. Now, last week I told you that we would like, if possible, to maybe let the kids know who's sending them. But if you want to give anonymously, uh, I didn't make this clear, if you want to give anonymously, that's perfectly okay. You can just make that commitment and write anonymous beside it. We'll know just to keep that under wraps and, and just let them know, hey, uh, a member of Wyatt cared enough to send you. Uh, however you want to do that, that's fine with us. We just want your money uh, to send uh, these wonderful kids to camp so that they can. We know that man, there's something about camp. When you get away from the electronics and, and all the stuff that's going on back home and you are just able to hear people teaching you, and we, 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 we took great effort to make sure we're going to a camp that is going to give our kids uh, a clear gospel uh, and, and so please, uh, if you can and are willing to step up to give uh, in that way, in that opportunity. There's a, there's a political, cultural commentator, it's my favorite to listen to, I listen to him just about every day. And he always closes his show uh, with some things I like and some things I hate. And uh, it always draws me into the very end because I want to hear what he hates because this is a very smart guy and he just tends to kind of rip uh, whatever he hates apart uh, with a fine-tooth comb, just rips it apart. So it's always good to hear that. Well, I've entitled my sermon this morning, The Lord Roars. And uh, I think it could also be entitled Some Things God Hates uh, because really Amos is really full of God just describing some deep problems that he has with the behavior of the people of Israel. In uh, verse 2 in chapter 1, starts off and, it said, and he said, The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. Amos 3.8 says, The lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? God shows up, and He is not happy. And we're going to see the reasons why He's not happy. So what we're going to do this morning is just look at uh, the sins that He really seems to, to, uh, to, to be describing and seems to be most upset about uh, with His people in this moment of time. And then we're going to look at some ways that we see from Amos that we can avoid doing the things that God hates. Because we obviously, as Christians, would like to avoid the things that God takes displeasure in. But I want us to read uh, 
chapter 2 is a great uh, kind of summary of some of the issues that he has with his people, so I want us to start there. Verse 4, chapter 2. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Judah and, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. So, don't look for an exact number here. What that means is, I've got a lot of problems. I've got a lot of problems with you people. And he says, um, because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes, but their lives have led them astray, those after which their fathers walked. So I will send a fire upon Judah, and in it shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trampled the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go into the the same girl so that my holy name is profane. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge and in the house of their God they drink the wine of those who have been fined. So I want us to, as a... It's a means of introduction, look at the setting and then the person of Amos, because we get a little information there uh, that we didn't get last week with Joel. Um, last week in Joel, we, we really saw a prophet speaking into destruction, okay? Speaking into uh, Israel after a huge, terrible, devastating locust plague had happened. Amos, though, spoke into a time of prosperity. In fact, uh, in Amos 3.15, it says, The winter house, along with the summer house, mentions also the ivory houses, and the great houses houses shall come to an end. Okay, so things are good, right? If you have a winter house and a summer house, life is good. You can go up north uh, when August gets here and you want to get away from the south. And then uh, when winter gets here, you can go down into Florida. And so life is sweet. And so Amos is really speaking into a time when there's a lot of prosperity. And we're going to see that, man, there's sins on both sides. We saw sin last week with people with hopelessness. And now we're going to see people in their lavish living uh, being evil. So uh, the author, uh, so this prophet Amos was... An interesting character. He was kind of a common guy. He was a working class man. No seminary education. He was a shepherd and a keeper of sycamore trees. Now, it's possible that maybe he was very successful at this and so he had a great status in society. But probably more than likely, he was just a working guy. He was a nobody. He was a, a shepherd and a keeper of trees. He was no famous Amos in his day. He was actually pretty unpopular. You might, as you might expect, of someone who, um, someone who is speaking judgment into a, a time when life is good. Like, be quiet, dude. Life is awesome. We have like two houses. Things are great. Why are you being a killjoy? And that was who Amos was, and and they didn't like Amos for it. So let's look at 
look at some of the sins of Israel. Amos actually starts off with a very popular message. In chapter 1, Amos shows up and he's condemning the sins of Israel's enemies. Okay, So it'd be like him showing up to us and running down North Korea. Or running down Russia. Or running down Iran. And, and talk about how evil they are for their terrorism and all of that. And so, like, we would be on board, right? Like, yeah, tell us more about how our enemies stink and how terrible they are. That's good stuff, Amos. But then chapter 2, he makes a turn about four or five verses in, and they don't like it. Because then he says, well, let me tell, let's talk about us. Let's talk about the sin in our own people, these that we're supposed to be these people of God, and then that's when the people say, hold up, let's go back to talking about our enemies. And Amos says, no, let's talk about us. I would argue from these nine chapters of Amos that that there are three main categories of sin, and there's actually really one that kind of uh, is way above the rest of them as far as God giving time to it. First, we see that God roars at lawlessness in the land. Verse 4, because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept His statutes. And in verse 7, I'm going to paraphrase here, we see uh, sexual sin, uh, sexual deviancy that is mentioned here that God is displeased with. In verse 7, and they're just doing what they want to do. They're doing sexual sin. They're doing all kinds of sin that we'll talk about as far as ignoring the, the commands of God to care for others. Now, now, think about this. We see in chapter 1 a bunch of nations that don't know God. Like, yeah, yeah, they're going to be sinners because they, they've never been given the law of God. But we're now talking about the people of God. The people who have received the law and God has clearly given it to them, and they have said, no thanks, we're going to reject that. We're going to live our own way. And so we see that God is roaring against the absolute lawlessness of His people. Then we also see that God roars at apathy towards the afflicted. He roars at their apathy towards the afflicted. If we were to break down in Amos the time given in, in the different sins of Israel, this would be uh, way above anything else mentioned in this. First, uh, we'll read verse 6 there. Right? Because they sell the right. People in their society are being hurt, are being taken advantage of, and they don't care. The rich are getting by because they can bribe themselves out of trouble, and the poor are punished. The people of God are to desire justice. We have a God who desires justice. Deuteronomy 10, 17, it says this, For the Lord your God is a God is God of gods and is Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. 
He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. God desires us to be like Him. And He is a God who cares about the orphan, who cares about the widow, who cares about those who are being taken advantage of in society. You know what's sad to me? Is that secular humanists have hijacked biblical words and made them their own things like justice or social justice. And, and now we use social justice warrior and it's a bad thing, right? And yet God, is, God calls His people to be people of justice. And they've hijacked what we should care about. And they've marred it and they've, they've twisted it to be something that it, it's not helpful and something it's not supposed to be. And so we as the church, we almost like back away from terms like seeing justice done in society. When it's biblical, it's, it, should be, it should be something we care about. We serve a God who cares deeply about what happens to the vulnerable of society. God always seems concerned about uh, there's, there's four main categories of, of, that we see God bring up time, time again. Orphans, widows, foreigners, and the poor. People who need help. People who need love because there's not other people to step up and take care of them. We as the church should be on the front line calling out and intervening in the sins of, of where injustice is being done, when, when babies are being ripped apart for, the, for convenience sake and abortion, we should intervene. Christians should, should be deep in the fight of modern-day slavery, of sex trafficking. We should be on the front line of adoption efforts in organizations like CASA who give a voice to the voiceless. We should be outspoken and quick to help the widows among us. And where racism exists, we should call it out and not sit idly by, not be silent. When there is injustice in the world, there is a place for Christians to move and to act and to bring in the world. Not some secular humanism that so many people want to... That doesn't help anybody. It's people who are changed by the gospel who want to go into society and help others and bring the gospel. And God was very, very, very angry that His people did not care about the hurt around them. And God roars at religious hypocrisy. Verse 8, it says, They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge, and in the house of their God they drink the wine of those who have been fined. In verse uh, 22 of another chapter in uh, Amos, it says, Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings for your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs, to the melody of your hearts, I will not listen. And so God, and, and, it, and it's very common in the Minor Prophets, is God is sick of worship without lives 
that are changed. Worship that say, hey, you're great. Hey, we're offering these offerings to you. We're killing these animals for you. But then going out and living life like, like everyone else. Do you think the church has a problem with that today? You think, do you think there's a problem and people come on Sunday and they offer up their songs and they offer up their worship and they walk away and it's as if He doesn't exist. You want to know why kids so often leave the church when they get to college? It's because all they saw were, was God was valuable on Sunday. God was worshipped on Sunday. But the rest of the week, He's rarely mentioned. He's rarely valued. Everything comes before Him. And we, we wonder, why, our kid, why would our kids leave the church? It's because... They've, all they've ever seen is worship, which is not truly heart worship, not truly affectionate worship towards God. So those are some things God hates. So I want to give us four applications in Amos for the modern church to avoid doing the things that God hates. First is be a people who listen to preachers who lift high the word of the Lord, even when it's not popular. So Amos has this, this hard message to go out to people that are doing really well financially and, and living it up and to speak judgment into their lives. It's unpopular. And anytime there's an unpopular message, there's going to be a pseudo-preacher that, raises, that is raised up to counter it. And we see that mentioned in Amos 7, verse 10. Then um, Amaziah the priest of Bethel sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. And so we have this guy that says, you know what, king? Amos, we can't handle all that judgment talk. All he's doing is talking about the things that God hates. And, and, man, our people just don't need to hear such a hard, tough message. I mean, Amos is out there preaching a message that everybody hates. I mean, it's a, he's out there preaching against sexual deviancy, so the liberals hate him. He's out there preaching, hey, you need to take care of the poor. So the conservatives hate him. And he's out there preaching against religious ritual. So the religious people that are doing all these religious rituals even hate him. He's out there with this hard message and of course a man's going to rise up and say, ah, that's tough. That's, that's, not, that's not where we need to be, folks. That's not what we need to be focused on. Don't listen to Amos. And oftentimes, the sad thing in our society is that when you stand in opposition to the gospel and the hard message that we're sinners that need a Savior, you can fill coliseums. People will come with that soft message, with that altered gospel. We see Amos would not back down. It says in verse, uh, after it's, we introduced to this false teacher in verse 14, then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, 
I was, I was no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from the following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. See, Amaziah couldn't do that. All he said, hey, you know, that's a tough message. But only Amos could say, this is the word of the Lord. And I'm going to preach it whether it's popular or not. Do you know here why, why the bulk of our preaching, we're going through books of the Bible? It's because we believe in the word of the Lord. And I don't want to just preach my hobby horse. I don't want to. Do you think we're in the minor prophets because it's easy preaching? Or because it tickles your ears? No, we're in the minor prophets because we don't go there very often. So we need to go even in the places that are sometimes difficult to preach and difficult to hear. If you ever hear Adam Thomas start saying a lot of, hey, Adam says this, like Amaziah is saying, I say this you need to run and find you a biblical church. You need to be in a church where men say, therefore hear the word of the Lord. Pray for us as pastors that we would always be careful not to preach to to get a crowd, not to preach to make society like us, but to preach the word of God. Pray. Pray for your pastors, that we would always hold up the Word of God. So just make sure that you're listening to preachers like Amos that have a true Word from God. Next, if we want to be people to stay away from or avoid the things that God hates, we need to be a people whose worship is accompanied by justice and righteousness. Amos 5, verse 21 says this, I hate, I despise your feast, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps, I will not listen but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. God says, I'm tired of listening to you sing because there's no life in your worship. It's hypocrisy. You're not people of righteousness. You're not people of justice. I can't stand to hear you sing. A.W. Tozer said this. He said, Christians don't tell lies. They go to church and they sing them. It's like Jesus' condemnation of the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 23. What does He say to them? He says, hey, you tithe your spices. Like, you're so careful in your tithing that you actually count out spices, the leaves off of a plant to make sure you're giving your 10%. He says, And you're doing that while orphans and widows starve. It's great that you're all about tithing and about your worship, but you can't neglect the injustices that are around you. You've got to also 
be people of righteousness, people who fight what is unjust with what is just. When Christ is asked what the greatest commandment is, He narrows it. He says, I can't narrow it down to one commandment. I'll narrow it down to two. To love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, and your mind. And the second is likened to it that you love your neighbor as yourself. God says, love me, but very close, very almost the same thing as loving me is loving your neighbor as yourself. If we truly be those who worship God, then out of our lives will flow acts of justice towards our neighbor and righteousness that will be an ever-flowing stream in our lives. That's what he's calling for here. He says, I don't want to hear your songs until justice is rolling down like waters from you and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream from you. Go out and, and do great, godly, wonderful things to the injustice that, are, that is in the world. And then, then you will worship me and I will enjoy, enjoy your songs. Third, be a people that are filled with compassion for the vulnerable of society. I want you to know something. Make no mistake, okay? The banner over the church is the gospel. The banner over the church, the banner that we fly is the wonderful good news of the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if we go out into the world and we feed every hungry person, if we stamp out every injustice in the world, but we have not proclaimed Christ, we have absolutely 100% failed the mission of the church. But, even though fighting for justice cannot save our souls, the gospel we have received is a gospel of transformation that sets us free to be more like our God. And our God cares about injustice. And if we, in our in our righteousness, in our in our the righteousness that He's given us in Christ, and and and, and the the way He has set us free from sin and selfishness, we should be able to be able to be more like Him in our lives. He calls us, "Let our light shine, so shine that people may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven." We, we don't wave the banner of social justice over the church. We, we wave the banner of the gospel. But let me tell you something. If we would be those who would stamp out injustice, that banner would be a lot more visible. People would be able to, to see the gospel we proclaim if they were to see our good works. We are to care about justice. We are to hurt for others who hurt and whenever possible, act to relieve the hurt of others. The people of Amos's day had forgotten that. Listen to uh, chapter 6, verses 4 through 7, and tell me if this couldn't be an indictment for the American church. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm just saying. I see this in my own life. In verse 4, Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory, 
and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp and like David invent for themselves instruments of music who drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oil and are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore they shall now be the first of those who go into exile, and the revelry of those who stretch themselves out shall pass away. He's saying, the problem I have with you people is that I've blessed you, and I've given you plenty, and in that blessing, you've sat back on the couch, and you listen to your music, and you anoint yourself with oil, and you drink wine from fancy bowls, and there are people around you that are hurting and, and, and facing judgment, and you don't care as long as it doesn't interfere with your comfort. Right now in Nicaragua, there is violence in the streets. Did you know that? There's political unrest. People are dying in the streets of Nicaragua. In the very community where... We love and know Oscar Gaitan and Tammy and their church. People afraid to go out of their homes and, and we, these are, these are, we have more in common with them than we do our unbelieving neighbor. These are our people that we've worked with, that we've shared the gospel with. And so let us be people, and we'll close the service today praying for them, but let us be people that are lifting them up in prayer, that are encouraging them and and. And asking God to, to preserve them. We are to be people that don't live in a bubble, but we care about what's happening around the world. You know, we live in a world that's obsessed with, with privilege, right? I looked, at, looked this up, and there's, just, there's a list of privileges. This month they actually added Christian privilege to the list. That if we're Christians, we're privileged. And the question we need to ask is, does privilege exist? Sure it does. We would be dumb to say that people are not born with various privileges and disadvantage or disadvantages. Considering we all deserve hell, the fact that we're even walking around on this earth is a privilege. And these, the question is, what are we doing with that privilege? What are we doing with the privilege that we've been giving? Some would say, man, if you're privileged, you just need to get, get on to the side. We have nothing, we have nothing to hear from you because you're privileged. That's the way sometimes people in society handle privilege. You've got no right to talk or speak. But I would say for the Christian privilege has always been given to be a blessing to others. That's where it's, with Abraham, that's where it started. I'm blessing you to be a blessing to the nations. I'm giving privilege to you, Abraham, so that you can be a blessing to others. But these people were just using their privilege to sit back and listen to music, drink wine, and anoint themselves with oil. Is it a privilege to be born into a home with a mom and a dad who are there? Yeah, it's a privilege. 
But don't just say, man, I'm glad I was privileged, but ask yourself, is there something I can do for those who haven't been born into a home with a mom and a dad? Maybe we can adopt. Maybe I can mentor a kid in our schools through Wyatt's mentoring program. Maybe I can be a place of where kids that don't have both parents, that, that haven't had the privilege that I've had, can experience at least some support and some influence. Is it a privilege to have a job that gains you lots of resources and money? Should you feel guilty about working hard and advancing in your job? Absolutely not. But the question is, what are you doing with that privilege? Are you using it just to be comfortable? Or are you also using it for the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of those who are hurting? Let us not be a people that recline in privilege, but who use the privileges to move us into action for the kingdom of God. And the greatest privilege any of us have been given is to hear the gospel. If you've heard the gospel, especially if you've responded to the gospel, you are the most, one of the most, you are of the most privileged in the world. What are you going to do with that privilege? Are you going to share it with others? You're just going to say, man, I'm glad I'm not going to hell. I think about George Lyle. Did you know that the very first American missionary, um, international missionary, Baptist missionary, was, uh, was a slave? He was a freed slave. He was, uh, his his uh, slaveholder was convicted about, about his, uh, he just was convicted about slavery and he said he, he emancipated him. And so George Lyle, who could have said, you know what, man, I've been slaving my whole life. I'm going to relax for a while. You know what he did, does? He sells himself back into slavery to go to Jamaica to witness to slaves there. He was privileged with the gospel and then privileged with freedom. And we wouldn't have blamed him to just say, hey, go, go, you know, go minister somewhere in the United States, but don't go back into... He went back into slavery. He didn't use his privilege for himself. He used it for the propagation of the gospel. And fourthly, be a people who examine themselves to know that they have the Lord. There's this really interesting section of Scripture in, in chapter 5, verse 18. It says, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. And if a man fled from a lion, uh, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. What in the world does that mean? That's a bad day when you're running from a lion and you run into a bear. Things are not going well. And what it's talking about, he says, listen, you want the day of the Lord. Some of you want the day of the Lord not realizing that you don't know God. You want the day of the Lord, but it's, 
you're asking for something much worse than what you're experiencing now. Because you don't know God. You think you know God. You're doing religious stuff. You think you know Him and you think you want the day of the Lord. But when I show up, you're going to realize that I don't know you and you don't know me. And that's going to be a problem for you. You'll be running from a lion and you're going to meet a bear. First Peter 4.17 says, For it is time for the judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And, and so I think sometimes we as religious people need to start with ourselves. We need to look at ourselves and ask ourselves, do we these things that God hates, if it's characterized by the things that God hates, then who are we to scream for the day of the Lord? Because we may be very, very disappointed when that day comes, realizing that we never knew Him, which is why we never dealt with the things in our lives that He hates. sins he will not forsake us what an amazing God that does not give us what our sins deserve in the face of such love such affection from the one who could have destroyed us but let us live how can we be anything other than those who rain down justice and righteousness on the earth as we live? As our musicians come and as you stand, I'm going to close with Amos chapter 5, two verses, 14 and 15, as just kind of a call to action in response to what we have talked about this morning. 
says this, Seek good and not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you. As you have said, hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, forgive us for being those that do the things that you hate. 